I want to start with a question. Has anyone here, over the course of their life, had all of their prayers answered the way they wanted them to be answered? Anyone? No, right? That, that's just a part of the Christian life that we come to realize that not all of our prayers are answered by God the way we want them to be answered. It, it could be something very trivial, like, Lord, please, no red lights, I'm running late for this appointment. Or it could be something very serious. Lord, I love this person. Heal them so they need not die. We have something in between. And for whatever reason, uh, and we're going to look at that today, God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we would want Him to answer our prayers. And, and we can fall into the trap of thinking, and maybe we wouldn't say these words, but deep down inside, if we could just peel away the layers and really get to the heart of it, uh, at least I've felt this way, and maybe I'm not the only one, I would be a really good God. If God would just do everything that I told Him to do, everything would work out just fine. That's smug. That's arrogant. It, it betrays an ignorance beyond description. You see, God knows all things. He is from the beginning and He will be at the end. And we are just small specks on that continuum. Now, by God's grace, He saves us and invites us into the glorious thing that He's doing. But God is so much bigger than us. Even when we forget that that is the case. Which means that the things that God is doing are much greater than the things that we are doing. Uh, the, the plan that God has is greater than our plans. His knowledge is greater than our knowledge. And yet, we get into this tunnel vision where we, we are in our own little world and we have no idea what's going on in this moment in Liberia or Japan or Siberia or Antarctica, or the Andromeda Galaxy. And yet we think that we have the answer. We've all been there. We've all done that. It's not easy to remember that we're not the center of the universe. God is. In our lives, I wonder if our lives illustrate for the world to see a person who believes that they are in the center of the universe or that they serve a God who is at the center of the universe. This is a tough challenge. Now, I want to make the challenge even harder. Imagine you are Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul. You know, the one who wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. You would think that if anyone had a direct access to God, anyone who said, I know how things ought to be done, it might have been Paul. We appeal to Paul all the time. Paul said, and therefore God said. And so Paul has this amazing connection with God, and yet not even all of Paul's prayers were answered. And Paul had to come to the realization that he was a part of something much bigger than himself. And it's only when he came to that realization that he was any use for God at all. You see, when Paul was the center of his own universe, he wanted to kill Christians. But then Jesus displaced him as his own center. Jesus says, Paul, Paul, who are you, Lord? The one whom you are persecuting. 
And that radically changed Paul's life. Today we're going to look at this question, and I want to challenge each of us. Do we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves? And I'm not looking for some glib, quick Sunday school response, yes, sign me up, because if we answer yes, it means we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It means we're saying, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be employed by the maker and the savior of the universe. And so unless we're willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, we cannot answer in the affirmative that we actually want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And I have a, 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 just a, what's the word? It's, it's a looming, heart-aching hunch that if we're being honest, we don't want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We want the bigger to be a part of us. We want everyone else to serve us. We want the world to come to our beck and call. We want God to answer our prayers the way we want our prayers to be answered. We want our lives to unfold according to the plan that God has or that we have laid out for our, our lives rather than the plan necessarily that God has laid out for our lives. And so what, what starts off as a very encouraging, uplifting uh, message, do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourselves? Well, sign up here at South Shore Bible Church. You can be a part of something wonderful. Become something extremely challenging. Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? Really? Let's pray. Oh God, please have mercy on us. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, but we don't want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are complex, we are conflicted. We have the desire to be good servants of Christ Jesus, but we also have the desire to enslave Christ to ourselves. That he would do what we want him to do for us. I don't know how to get out of this predicament, this tension. But I do know that it requires uh, uh, an act of your grace. We can't will ourselves out of this. We're stuck. But I pray, Lord, that you would take our lives and let them be consecrated all for thee. Please help us as we take a look at these scriptures this morning. And Spirit of God, minister to us, changing us from the inside out. I pray this in the name of the one who actually is at the center of all reality, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, the King. Amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans. As you're looking for Romans 1, we're going to read chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Would you please stand?
Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. This is the Word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The Word of God. Please be seated. There's a lot going on in this preaching text, and as we have been going uh, at a fairly slow pace, we could probably take several weeks here, but we're going to do these, these verses today. Because really, all of these verses boil down to one main idea, one massive thought that, that Paul is talking about, and then he's just explaining uh, why this matters to the letter. And, and you see the main point there in verse 13. Take a look at it. All of these verses revolve around the first half of verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented. That, that's really what Paul is saying in these verses. And then he fills it in with all kinds of other things. He, he goes on a little bit over here and a little bit over there, which we're going to look at today. But this is really what this passage is about. I wanted to come to you, and we're going to see, I even asked God that I could come to you, but I have been prevented. Now, who or what has prevented Paul from going to Rome? God has. God has prevented Paul from going to Rome. So in, the, in this opening, or in this passage that we're looking at today, Paul's saying, look, if it was up to me, if, if I were God, I would have already come to visit you, but I have been prevented. God has not permitted me to come to you. We're going to take a look at why that is important. First of all, let's take a look now. So all of these points in, in the sermon flow out of this idea that Paul wanted to go to Rome, but he has not yet gone to Rome. So the first thing that we want to look at is this. And this might be self-evident, I hope it is, but it's, it's super important for us to see this. Paul did not plant the church in Rome. That's important because most of the letters that Paul writes, he's writing to churches that he planted. He was a missionary church planner, and he would go and he would, he would make tents to provide for himself. Then he would go into the synagogues and preach the gospel, and then he would go out to the agoras and he would preach the gospel. So first to the Jews, then to the Greeks. Then he would plant a church, and there would be a little house church not of a lot of people, in the tens. Uh, when, I, when, when I read the Bible, for example, the Corinthians, I think, oh man, that must have been uh, 500 people, 700 people, 1,000 people. It's probably like 30. 
small church, kind of like us. And so Paul would spend one, two, three years with the church that he planted, and then he would hand it off to elders that he had trained, and he would go to the next town, and then he would write letters. So when you're reading through the New Testament, you're reading letters from Paul, most of the letters are written by Paul to churches that he planted, or he was very well uh, acquainted with them. Not so with the Romans. Paul begins by acknowledging that though he had never been there, he's heard of them. He doesn't know them, although we get to chapter 16, he knows some of them, so there's been some cross-pollination, but he's never been there. Take a look at verse 8. First, what does that mean, first? First, that is, before I get into what I really want to say, I need to acknowledge some things about our relationship. I've never been to you. you. You've never seen me. But, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Even though Paul had never met them, he had never been there, he didn't plant the church, he had heard that God had sent someone else to plant the church in Rome, and he rejoiced. He was glad that that the gospel was bigger than him, that this Jesus movement was bigger than him. And, And I don't know who planted the church in Rome. I don't think we do know. There's some speculation that maybe there were some Jews at Pentecost that were from Rome, and they went back to Rome, and they had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they planted a church in Rome, but we don't really know. Isn't that amazing? The, maybe the most important church, in a lot of ways, in the empire, because it's in the capital, people are coming and going. We don't even know who planted the church. But Paul says, look, my mission, my desire in life is to, to do what God has called me to be. I'm an apostle. I've been set apart for the gospel of God to bring about what? This is from last week. The obedience of faith. So before I get into talking about the gospel, says Paul, because that's what Paul's going to spend most of his time in Romans doing, I want you to know that I've heard about you and your reputation is that you are exercising an obedience from faith. And I'm glad about that. And what's amazing here is this is happening without Paul. And even though, and I would even go so far as to say, because it is happening without Paul, he's glad. He's rejoicing that God is on the move. Aside from Jesus Christ, not even Peter was as necessary for the gospel and the establishment of the church than Paul. So so you have no gospel without Jesus Christ. You do have a gospel without Peter, Paul, and all the rest of them. God could get rid of them and get some others. So the only one who is absolutely necessary for our faith is Jesus Christ. However, in the way in which God has brought the church into existence, the way he birthed the church, no one is more important to that movement of God than Paul. Not even Peter. And Peter is important. And yet, the church in Rome has a reputation for faith in all the world without any of Paul's involvement. That's something to be glad about. The, most, the, the VIP, the MVP, the most important player on Team Jesus, other than Jesus himself, had nothing to do with this, and everything was going fine. 
In fact, it was going well. They had a good reputation. And so we can conclude, as we already have, that the gospel's bigger than Paul. Which means that the gospel is bigger than any of us. Which maybe we know that. And yet, how many times do we forget that there is a lot more happening in the world than what's happening in my own little life? There's a lot more happening in the world than what's happening in Canada. There's a lot more that God is doing than what's happening in this local church. We're just a part of a massive global universal movement that transcends time and space. It it reaches into the spiritual realm where powers and principalities are at war against us, and yet God says, don't worry, I've got it covered. Arm yourself with my armor. Protect yourself with the blood of Christ. You see, none of us is indispensable to what God is doing. We all must do our part, but every one of us is replaceable. There is no irreplaceable pastor. There is no irreplaceable elder. There is no irreplaceable whomever. And so, the first thing that we need to know is you're totally replaceable, and so am I. If we don't get on board with what God is doing, he'll find somebody else. So the question is, do you want to be a part of what God is doing, or do you want to try to strong-arm God into what you're doing? What we're doing? Paul rejoiced that this God was bigger than him, the gospel was bigger than him, and things were happening without him. And then look at the second movement, though. The second thing that I want us to notice in verses 9 and 10 is that Paul wanted to be a part of what God was already doing in Rome. He wasn't trying to fight for supremacy. He says, I see that God is on the move in Rome, so I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God is doing, what he's already doing. I don't have to create something from scratch. I just want to join myself into, I want to get into the flow of what God is doing. Take a look at verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Now stop there for a moment. If you stop there, this is what you think Paul is praying. I pray that you would bless the Roman church. I pray that you would raise up elders and leaders. I pray that you would protect them from persecution. I am not suggesting that Paul might not have prayed those things. But we don't know. Because Paul only tells us one thing that he is praying about. The only thing that he writes that he has been praying about, when he says, I pray for you night and day, well, what, what kind of things are you praying, Paul? This is where we pick up now. So we don't know what he's praying except for this. Asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So we have no idea what Paul prayed for the Romans except this. This is what we do know. God, I see the good work that you're doing there. Would you please, please let me be a part of it? That's the only thing we know that he's he's asking for. And and, and that's a wonderful thing to, to ask God for. This is what Paul's prayer might have sounded like. God, I see what you're doing in Rome. It's wonderful. I rejoice in it. 
a healthy church that I have nothing to do with. Oh, but God, I want to be a part of it because I want to be where you are at work. So would you please, God, I know I I don't have the right to ask you this, and you've blessed me so much with all of these other churches that are keeping me up at night and giving me indigestion and anxiety. But would you please let me be a part of what you're doing in Rome? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we find out here is that's the prayer that Paul prayed every morning and every night. Night and day, I'm pleading with God that he'll let me come to you. Now, this model for ministry and missions is revealing. What I just modeled as Paul's prayer, does that sound familiar to any of our recent prayers? Go back in the last week, the prayers that you've prayed. Go back the last month, the last year. What does your prayer life sound like? Does it sound like that? God, I see what you are already doing and I want to be a part of it. Could you move heaven and earth so that I could be involved in what you are already doing? Do we even want to be involved with what God is already doing? Or do we want God to be a part of what we are already doing? God, I've got a good plan for my life. I've mapped it out. And if I make this much money for this many years by this time, God, I have a career path that I'd like to be on. God, I would really like that house. I think I could be a really excellent contribution to that office. I could just just use this promotion, God, and I will give you all the glory. our, Our team in sports could really use this win. Or, God, I've got an idea for ministry. I'm going to plan it, and then I'm going to ask you to bless it. One thing we try really hard to do here is to get our plans for ministry from the Bible so that when we go to God and say, God, would you bless this? We're saying, look, we're trying to implement the things that you've written down. We don't need to be needlessly creative. We just need to discover what he wants us to do and then try to do it. But what does your prayer life sound like? Does it sound like Paul's prayer here? I don't know how many of you this will impact directly, but I think it impacts us all indirectly. And so for some of of you, this will be more important than others. So for those of you where this is not important, just don't tune out, pay attention, and we'll move on in a minute. But one thing I'm noticing in the church in North America is the celebrity culture of our world is seeping into the church. I'll tell you how this impacts me is for good or for bad, and hopefully for good, <laughs> uh, and we have elders to, to help share the load, plurality of elders, I and we are your shepherds in the faith. Not John MacArthur, not John Piper, 
because they don't know you and you don't know them. There's a lot of really good articles, blog posts. There's a lot of really good sermons to listen to. And I'll tell you, go and listen to John Piper. I've already recommended him, and I know some of you are listening to him. I love John Piper. He, he's a trusted resource, but he's not your shepherd. Celebrity culture is coming in to the church. And how does this impact, do we want to be a part of what God is already doing in Rome? Well, what God is already doing here is that he has given this church shepherds, elders, teachers. Do you want to be a part of what God is doing here? Social media, blogs, books, speaking engagements, all of these things are good, but they can distract from what God is doing right here. In the Bible, it's the local church where God is active. That's, that's the, the unit of society that God says, I want you to organize yourself in, uh, yourselves in local churches. Now, if you want to be a part of another local church, that can be arranged. Like Paul was involved in the life of many local churches. He had a particular call to many local churches, and he wanted to be a part of the life in the Roman local church. So for some of us, there might be missions opportunities for us as a church to partner with others. But the point is, we need to be a part of what God is doing here. And if we see something that God is doing somewhere else, let's pray that we could be a part of it, but then we go and we graft ourselves into what God is doing there. This leads us to the, to the question, uh, which is our next point, is why did Paul want to go to Rome? It wasn't for his own glory, We see why in verses 11 and 12. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now this is a good balance to our first point. This is our third point. This is a good balance to our first point. Our first point was that, that, God, that God is doing things that are bigger than us, that he doesn't need us. We are all replaceable. That is that if I die, South Shore Church will go on just fine. Get another pastor. We're a dime a dozen. And God will keep the work that he's doing here. He'll keep it moving. There's no question in my mind about that. So we're all replaceable, but if we go with that, that could sort of demotivate us, couldn't it? We say, well, if I'm replaceable, I won't even try. I won't even do anything. But this point, point three, balances that really, really excellently. As much as God was doing something wonderful in Rome without Paul, Paul recognized that he had certain gifts. He had certain abilities, and he had the drive to make a contribution. He says, I can be of service. I can be a benefit. I can be a blessing to what God is already doing without me in Rome. And that's exactly what he says. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So in verse 8, we're told that the Roman church had a great reputation for obedience of faith in all the world. And Paul says, but I bet if I came to you, I could deepen your understanding of the gospel. I could strengthen you in your resolve to live out the gospel. 
And so as I'm praying to God, I know I'm not necessary, and I know that he doesn't need me, but I'm pleading with him to let me be a part of what he's doing, and I'm bringing to mind in my prayers that I could contribute my gifts. And just in addition to that, that's not where Paul ends. Verse 12, he says, that is almost as a corrective, but it's not a corrective. He wants to emphasize, there's a disjunction here. He says, I want you to know that it's not all about me strengthening you. It's not all about what I can offer you. I want to come to you because I know that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, Think about what Paul had been going through to this point. To this point, we know for sure that he had established the Thessalonian church, the Galatian church, and the Corinthian church. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. And so after (laughs) some difficult ministry, well, let's just review it. The Galatians, Paul went in, planted the church. Everything seemed fine. We saw great manifestations of power. People were believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were throwing off their pagan idols. And then he goes and he gets word back, oh, by the way, now everybody's converting back to Judaism and saying that they need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And he rips his hair out. He says, are you kidding me? And he writes them this long letter. And he, say, he, doesn't even, he doesn't give them any thanks or any encouragement at the beginning. He's like, you foolish Galatians. And he goes on and he says, I, I think I've labored over you in vain. I'm not even sure that you're saved. If you started with the Spirit, will you end with the flesh? If you want to put yourself under the law, go all the way. And he's frustrated. So that's the Galatians. And he had to go back and try to remind them of the gospel. Then you have the Thessalonians. They had a pretty good grasp they were there of the gospel, but they got transfixed on eschatology, the end times. You've, you all know a church like that, right? Talking about the return of Christ is important, but if that's all you talk about, then you're imbalanced. That's the Thessalonian church. And then they started getting lazy because they said, well, Jesus is just going to return, so I might as well not work. Paul rips his hair out and he says, you're missing the point. Uh, The promise of Christ's return is not so that you'll be lazy and idle and do nothing. It's so that you'll work all the harder. Anticipating that when he comes back, you'll be workers approved by him. Then you have the Corinthian church. Uh, We don't have enough time for this. Carnal, bickering, backsliding, sexually perverse, suing one another over trivial matters, not believing in the resurrection. Paul wrote them two letters that God inspired and two other letters that didn't make it into the canon because that was Paul partially in his flesh just venting about how frustrated he was and God says, I'm not going to stamp that with my authority. Four letters to the Corinthians. So Paul, you just, the reason I take that little detour is I think it's helpful when we're trying to read the New Testament to contextualize this. Oh, I've just pleading with God that I can come to a healthy church. I think I could be of benefit to you, but I really need to to be encouraged. And you have a reputation around the world. So I want to come and just rest, heal for a little bit. He knew that they had something to give him, namely encouragement. And this is an important reminder to all of us. Discipleship. And a life of faith is always a mutual two-way street. You'll never be discipling someone that can't offer something back to you. And the other is true too. When someone is discipling you, 
you have something to give them. It's a two-way street. It's not one way. If Paul the Apostle thought that he could be ministered to, then there's none of us that say, well, we've got it all. And this is really important for the pastor-church relationship uh, and the elder-church relationship. Pastors and elders need as much as they give. We need to be ministered to as much as you need to be ministered to. So how are we going to do that? Well, all kinds of ways that we can serve one another. One of the ways is to be an encouragement to your elders, to your pastor. Make it easy to pastor you. That's one way. Another way is come to the Bible studies because I promise you I haven't discovered everything in the Bible. And as we're going through the, the, the text together, remember the book that God wrote and we're reading it and God gives you an insight that I haven't thought about or the teacher of that course hasn't thought about and you contribute that to the gift, you're, you're mutually beneficial, benef- benefiting the teacher. So there, and there's all kinds of other ways in between. Uh, to extend grace, mercy, forgiveness. Not just to one another, but to your pastor. I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. I'm going to hurt you unintentionally or maybe sometimes intentionally. I hope not. To date, I've never intentionally tried to hurt anyone. But that grace has got to be a two-way street. That mercy, forgiveness, giving respect, honor, all those things. Young Christians give mature Christians much encouragement. I am, I am longing for the day when we are flooded with new believers to the point where we don't know what to do with them all. They would bring such a vibrancy to our life of faith in this church, which if we just carry on the way we are for several more years, it'll just, it will get stale. We need the, the vibrancy of new believers, which means we need to go out and find them. We need to go out and proclaim the gospel and bring them in here so that the young believers can be a ministry to the mature believers. Then God can stir us up and give us a, a sense of adventure again for his gospel and the things that he wants to do among us. Going on to our next point, uh, which we have already stated which is the central point, is that God nevertheless prevented Paul from going to Rome. And we've read that in first, uh, Romans 1, 13, first part. Paul had made plans to go to Rome, and those plans had been thwarted. Now, the really important point here, and I don't want to spend much more time on this because we're talking about it throughout the morning, is that walking by faith does not mean that we need to read God's mind. Paul had no idea whether or not God wanted Paul to go to Rome. Paul only knew that he wanted to go to Rome, and so he made plans to get himself to Rome. And whatever those plans were, we're told he had tried many times, which means he had made plans many times. And those plans were were thwarted for whatever reason, so he made plans again to try to get to Rome. And then those plans fell through, so he made plans again to try to get to Rome. And what's, what's 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 his governing principle? He wanted to go to Rome. So what would we say, that Paul wasn't walking by faith? 
And yet so many of us, when we say walking by faith means to try and sort of lay out the tarot cards in such a way, not, not real tarot cards, Christian tarot cards. Well, lay out the tarot cards in order to see what God wants. What is He divining for our lives? And, and, and that can be small things. It can be big things. Which one of these ladies do you want me to marry? What job do you want me to get? What missions trip do you want me to go on? Should I quit my job? What cereal should I eat? What color should my socks be? Small things, big things. And, and we get caught up in, and I have got caught up in this in the past, of not making plans according to my own desires, but by actually trying to read God's mind. And let me just share with you something. It doesn't work. God will not share his thoughts with you. I don't care how much you pray. God, show me what I should do. He just won't. Because this comes to a deep conviction that the only place, the only sure place to find God's will is in the Bible. He's already spoken it. He's not going to add to it. And so, we are left. What does it mean to walk by faith? It means to conform our lives as much as possible to the revealed will of God, and then we have a lot of freedom to pursue our desires. What do you want to do? Well, try to do it. So long as it's in keeping with the Word of God. But there's no verse in the Bible that tells you who you should marry. There's no verse in the Bible that tells you what job you should have or what occupation you should uh, pursue or whether you should go back to school. There's no verse in the Bible for those things. So what do you want to do? Well, with marriage, marry a believer. That's God's will. So, there's a lot of fish out there in that sea. It's just really important. Making, walking by faith does not mean reading God's mind. Paul couldn't read God's mind, and he had a very direct access. It means making plans and trusting God to open and shut doors according to his sovereign plan for your life. God will open doors, and he will shut doors. Make your plans and try to execute those plans in faith. Now we come, I believe it's our, yeah, it's our last point. Why did Paul want to go to Rome in the first place? He gives us three reasons. Picking up in the middle of verse 13. I want to come to Rome in order that I may reap some harvest among you. What does that mean? I want to come to Rome because I want to be sure that those who believe or who say that they are Christians, the self-professing Christians, I want to ensure that they truly are saved. What Paul is saying here, he doesn't even say, I'm, I'm, maybe there are some of you who think you're saved but aren't. He actually says, there are some of you in the church that aren't saved. That's what it means. I want to come to you in order to reap some harvest among you. That Among you. Among the church. To reap a harvest is to bring someone to faith. I don't think, says Paul, you have enough doctrine to be absolutely sure of your salvation. So I'm praying to God that I would be able to come and teach you the depths of the gospel so that you can either affirm your salvation or be saved. That's why we preach the word the way we do in the church, by the way. 
I never take for granted that all of you are saved. Every week I hope to reap some harvest among you. And I will preach as hard as I can according to the word of God until God calls me elsewhere or, or gives me my last breath because I want to see all of you in glory. So that's my job. That's my calling. That's my passion. Make sure that the, the men, women, youth, and children that, that I'm shepherding make it all the way. Secondly, second reason, and as well among the rest of the Gentiles. So this goes together. I, I want to come to you. I've been prevented, but I want to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you. Second reason that he wants to come, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And that's how we know for sure that in that first part, Paul is not talking about just Roman citizens in general. Among you means inside the church, because then he goes on and says, I also want to reap a harvest among the rest of the Gentiles. That's Rome. Once we figure out who's in and who's out in the local church, and once I deepen your understanding of the gospel in the local church, I want to go out into Rome, the capital city of the empire, and I want to reap a harvest among those Gentiles. Which makes me wonder about us as well. How, how deeply do we really want to get into the life of those Gentiles in Barry? So we might reap a harvest. Or if God gives you a desire to be a part of what he's doing somewhere else, why do you want to go there? Hopefully it's to reap a harvest among those in the church and those in the city where the church is. And then finally, we're told he wants to go there because he feels he owes a debt. Verses 14 and 15. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Since being saved by Christ, Paul knew what his life had been, and he lived his whole life not knowing that he could never pay back the debt of his sin, but he felt because of who I was, because I persecuted the church, although I'll never be able to undo that, it's the grace of God that, that has absolved me of that, given me forgiveness, entrance into his kingdom. I'm going to pour out my life trying to save as many as I can. And he says, I don't discriminate on who. And we see why he wants to go to Rome is because he wants to share the gospel with all kinds of people. There's no more metropolitan city in the empire than Rome. People from all over are in Rome. It's the capital city. That's why he says, look, I want to preach the gospel to Greeks and to barbarians. Barbarians are those people who would be outside of the Roman Empire. The Greeks would be those inside. Both to the wise and to the foolish. The educated and the uneducated. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, these are good reasons. I want to come to Rome to make sure you're saved, to reap a harvest among the Gentiles in Rome, and because I feel this debt, this weight in my life because of who I was, I just want to share the gospel with as many people as I can from all walks of life. So, why then wouldn't God have permitted Paul to go to Rome. 
we do find out that he makes it to Rome, but only at the end of his life, after he's been arrested, after he's imprisoned, and he goes there to die. So why does God prevent him from going to Rome sooner than that? I think it goes back to the very first thing that we brought up to prove the point. The gospel is bigger than Paul. If the gospel is not bigger than Paul, it's just a man-made religion. It's a religion that Paul co-opted. He, he took uh, a historical event, the death of a Jewish rabbi from Galilee, and he turned it into a world philosophy. If the gospel is not bigger than Paul, that's what it is. But if the gospel is bigger than Paul then Paul's a servant, a slave of Christ, and we can have confidence that the things that Paul says are true because it's happening without Paul. Which is an amazing miracle. You have no other religion that starts in this kind of way with Peter over here and Paul over here and some anonymous person over in Rome in arguably the most important church. We don't know who was in charge. And that's a miracle because they all agreed That doesn't happen in any other religion. You always have to have one man who writes it down and enforces his ideas, his thoughts, his philosophies, his rules, his laws, his uh, system of worship on everybody else. Not so with the gospel. The gospel is just pushing out in all directions, and Paul's just one. And so God says, no, Paul, I'm going to bench you when it comes to Rome. You're not going to Rome at least not yet and not this way. Because I need to show future generations, I need to show South Shore Bible Church in Barrie, Ontario in 2019 that the gospel is bigger than you. So they can have confidence that the gospel's real. And so that they can glean the principles that no one is bigger than the gospel This is God's work we just get by God's grace if we are blessed an opportunity to serve in some capacity. There's a second reason I believe God prevented Paul from going to Rome. And it has to do with what is the book of Romans. It doesn't say this, so this is this is my own speculation, take it or leave it. That other stuff, I think, is fairly well rooted in the Scriptures. This is my own speculation. I like it. I think it's a good idea. Take it or leave it. We never get in the Bible what it is that Paul says when he goes into a synagogue. What does he say when he goes into the marketplace? What does he do for three years in Corinth? Or, or sorry, in Ephesus. We, we never get that foundational level of Paul's preaching. We're just told he went and he preached the gospel and some people were saved and so on and so forth. We, we don't know what his preaching notes were. But I think we do. When you're reading through the book of Acts or when you're reading about Paul went into this synagogue and shared about Christ and then he went over here and shared and all of this, Paul couldn't get to Rome there was no promise that he was ever going to get to Rome. 
But he really wanted to make sure that he had an opportunity for them to know everything that he had taught to the other churches. And I think what the book of Romans is that these are Paul's preaching notes. When he would go on a missionary journey and he would go in and he would say, okay, let's talk about Jesus Christ. Well, what's he saying? Well, he starts with Romans 1, verse 18. And he works his way over the course of many years, many sermons. He works his way through the book of Romans until he finally leaves entrusting the church to someone else after he feels that they more or less have a grasp of the content that we have here in the book of Romans. Which means this is foundational for the life of any church. If we don't know Romans, then we don't really know the gospel. We're like the Romans before they received the letter that Paul wrote to them. This is why when Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Oh, by the way, that's what this letter is. We're like the Romans without the book of Romans. (laughs) Before Paul wrote to them, we may have a grasp of the gospel, but until we, we feel confident in the book of Romans, we don't really have the gospel, not at its depth which is why we're preaching through it. And so, going back to the point, God prevented Paul from going to Rome because if Paul had made it to Rome, he would have delivered the book of Romans orally, verbally, and it wouldn't have been written down for us. God says, we need those preaching notes in the Bible. We, we need your notes preserved. That's my word. I, I need to put it in the New Testament Scriptures so that for future generations, everyone will know the message that I taught to you and you spoke to the Thessalonians, to the Galatians, to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians. That's what the book of Romans is. So so God says, sorry, you're not going to go. And Paul says, fine, I'll write a letter. And God says, exactly. That's exactly what I want. Today's preaching text revolves all around Paul's desire to go to Rome. And we've looked at uh, the reality that God blocked him from going to Rome. And this has shown us many things. Number one, it reminds us that God did not need Paul. The gospel, gospel is bigger than him and it's bigger than us. And therefore, we can trust that it's true. Number two, Paul wanted to be a part of what God was already doing with in Rome. And that's that's something for us to imitate. We can long to be a part of something that God is already doing. How badly do you want to be a part of what God is already doing? Number three, it has shown us that Paul wanted to go to Rome in order to serve and be served. Are we humble and gracious enough both to serve and then be served? Fourthly, God prevented Paul from going to Rome anyway. And this reminds us that sometimes God closes doors in your life. He's closed doors in my life. And it can be difficult when we go through those moments. And it can be traumatic. Uh, We're now going down a corridor of life that we don't want to go down or we never thought we would have to go down. Or it might be something less traumatic. We would really like to do this, but that door is closed, so we're not doing it. Often, these closed doors don't make sense to us. Often, the the traumas that we go through in life don't make sense to us. But what we're shown here is that God has his reasons 
for asking us to endure. And ultimately, He has the path for us. So we go about, we walk by faith, not by reading God's mind to try to figure out what that path is. We make plans. We execute plans the best that we can. But when God opens doors or closes doors, we rejoice. Even in the traumatic times, knowing that God has a reason, even if we don't know what that reason is. Do you honestly want to be a part of something bigger than you? I would invite you to wrestle with this because if you do, it will cost you everything. It might cost you your house. It might cost you your job. It might cost you living in Barrie, Ontario. It might cost you your retirement savings. It might cost you your life. You can either be a part of something that is all about you and is no bigger than you and have all the security and control, at least the illusion of it, that you want. Or you can deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? and give your life to the gospel. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that you would help us to say and mean that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And I confess on behalf of this church that we are far too self-absorbed to say that with any absolute sincerity. Please have mercy on us and work on us. Bring us to the point where that absolutely is the song of our life. And in the meantime, do good things in us and through us in spite of our half-hearted commitment to the gospel. Because we know that you can do great things in spite of your servants. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.